there, fellow adventurers, and welcome to another episode of The Cauldron of Chaos. My name is John Corcoran, and today I'm joined by one of my best friends and newest players, H. Howdy, folks. My name's H, and I started D&D around a month ago. John here introduced me to it and showed me the ropes. I'm here to help him do the same thing for you. All right. So today will be the topic, how to start playing, starting with how to build your character for your first game. D&D is filled with a massive and diverse assortment of characters, and it can be very confusing to navigate, especially on your first time. We'll start with some more common races in D&D. First off, we're going to start with the Aarakocra. This is the race I chose for my very first time playing. Aarakocra are bird-like people with talons, wings, and beaks, and they're often isolated from other groups because of their preference for homes in higher locations, like mountains. This class is capable of flight and has improved unarmed attacks with their talons, making them a very mobile and versatile class for any player. Aarakocra usually live until 30 years old. Yeah, I didn't actually realize about the 30-year-old uh, lifespan thing. I really did think they lived longer. It was, a, it was a weird thing whenever I was looking up for this episode. I didn't think they lived, in, I didn't think they lived that short. That's a surprise to me as well. Uh, so next is Dragonborn. Uh, Dragonborns are people of Draconic lineage. This does not mean they directly come from dragons. They can come from literally anything. They're closely related to, like, lizard folk type people. Dragonborn are known for their signature breath weapon and customization, ranging from the flaming power of the golden dragons to the lightning of the blue dragons and everything in between, with poison, uh, force, all of those different damages. Um... Uh, as an example, in our current campaign, we have two Dragonborns of the Golden Dragon lineage. As a result, both breathe fire. Character can breathe lightning, ice, or even poison if you so choose. Additionally, Dragonborns have resistance matching their breath weapon. So if you are, so if you uh, breathe fire and someone does a fire-based attack to you, you'll take half the damage from that, which is pretty powerful in the middle of combat. Uh, Dragonborn tend to live until around 80. Next up, we have Galacts. Um, they are normally strong and reclusive race capable of lifting more weight than most of the others, and can brush off a decent amount of damage. This race also provides a resistance to the cold, or as you were, a resistance to the cold. With their <laughs> homelands being in their mountains, they do not suffer from elevations that would hinder most. Goliaths normally live shorter lives than humans. That was one weird thing to me with Goliaths is they've got like three abilities that boost their strength. But it's kind of weird to me how they've got very specific abilities for mountains. What do you think on that, H? Do you think it's like useful in most campaigns or just very specific things? Well, just hearing it like off the bat, it sounds like it'd be useful depending on what your DM does. For example, if your DM takes you into mostly caves, well, mountain advantage ain't good for much. But if you're high up in the mountains, Goliath's going to be very powerful. Yeah, that, that can be pretty cool, because most people will be suffering from elevation sickness. That's pretty cool to see. So, next up are halflings. Halflings are similar to, like, hobbits from Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, uh, with their name coming from their height, being around half the height of a normal human. Um, they are naturally lucky, allowing them to re-roll one critical failure. So... A critical failure is when your 20-sided dice, which you do for most ability checks, we're going to talk a little bit more on this later, rolls a 1, which is the worst your character could do in anything. 
and it's normally called a critical failure. They're lucky, so they just get to re-roll that, which is kind of crazy. Um, they're naturally stealthy, and even at their short stature, manage to stay brave against larger threats. Halflings live to be a no. Halflings normally live uh, to around one hundred and fifty. That's a lot longer than anything else we've covered so far. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's like the shorter the shorter they are, the longer they live. Hey, they sacrifice half that height for twice the age. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have humans, and humans are a race that many would consider to be a bland race. They're the jack of all trades. They're good at everything. They're not particularly great at anything. But with the capability to speak a random language and a slight boost in most skills, humans are a very unique and amazing choice for characters, especially if the other races seem too confusing to deal with on your first game. And if, and that should not be diminishing to anyone. A lot of these group, a lot of these races are very confusing. I started out with a human uh, for my first character, and humans were really the ones that I understood for quite a while, and they're not bad in any way you can do almost anything with them they're just a little bit simpler and easier to understand off the bat than some of these weird crazy ones when i first started playing DD, uh john here had to actually explain every character multiple times before i understood even any of them and in the end i just went has wings i'm going with air kokra <laughs> um you got dwarf Yes, dwarfs. Dwarfs are known for their skill as warriors, miners, and stonemasons, very similar to how they're depicted in Lord of the Rings, as we mentioned earlier. Um, dwarves are resistant to poison and are naturally built tough. Um, they are often skilled artisans and live for about 250 years. Now, because of their affinity for the underground, them, like every character that we list from here on forward, have an ability called Dark Vision. Dark vision, just as it sounds, gives you vision in the dark and improves a character's sight in dark locations. For example, if your DM says that this cave is really dark, while your human uh, party member may not be able to see an enemy, the dwarf may be able to see an enemy that's a bit further forward. This doesn't mean that you have like perfect color vision. One of the big downsides with dark vision is uh, when you're in these dark environments, you can't see color. It's just different shades of gray. Which often makes for really cool uh, roleplay and combat encounters when you're sitting there trying to pick who to attack and you have no idea the difference of some of these people because all you can see is gray uh, shapes moving around. It's helpful, but it can, it can definitely provide some weird experiences. Um, next, we're going to go into Elves. You have three, uh, actually four types. You have High Elves, Wood Elves, Dark Elves, and Eladrin Elves. Each one of these have their own unique history, and they're very long and drawn out. But, uh, but we don't have enough time to cover that in this episode. We'll probably be covering that in a different episode. Uh, they boast keen senses, which makes them more able to notice things going on around them. Inherent resistant to certain magical effects, such as charm and uh, magically being put to sleep. And along those same lines, instead of sleeping, elves go into a magical trance, where most uh, where most or races to get a long rest takes about eight hours. It only takes them about four hours 
to get the exact same effects, which is pretty helpful. And being one of our oldest uh, races, elves live normally around 700 years. Damn. These guys are old. Ever. Um, next we have gnomes. Gnomes are naturally intelligent creatures that even for their distinctly short height, about two feet normally, boast impressive stealth capabilities and a natural resistance to magic. They come in three main varieties, forest, rock, and the elusive deep gnomes. Gnomes usually live between 350 and 500 years. Gnomes are a very unique class because of their... Uh, they're definitely just different. Most of these uh, people that we've talked about, they look very similar to humans. They are fairly easy to wrap your mind around. Gnomes are just different, man. <laughs> they hit different. Um, mm -hmm. Next we have the Genasi. Now these are a race of people who control one of the four elements, air, earth, water, or fire. Technically, they just gain their power from an elemental plane, uh, but that is a fairly complicated subject. Uh, you can get back to your talk about them. Members of this race take their element in their physical appearance. For example, a fire genasi might have flaming hair, or an air genasi may have light blue skin. And these guys live around 120 years. It's a little longer than humans. Just a little bit. Next we have half-elves. Half-elves are half-human and half-elf, gaining many of the benefits of both sides with an extra language and, and proficiency, as well as the natural resistance against uh, being charmed and being put to sleep. Uh, they don't have the trance ability, but often half-elves are popular among new players. Half-elves live around 180 years. Next we have the half-orcs. These guys are kind of confusing, um, but the base of it is that they have dark vision, they're very intimidating, and they have relentless endurance and very savage attacks. So, really quick, I'll explain relentless endurance. Relentless endurance is an ability only to half-orcs. Surprisingly, uh, we won't have orcs in this list because they're not in the uh, player's handbook, but relentless endurance is a weird skill that... Uh, that basically, your character drops to zero hit points where you should be knocked unconscious. You just say no and go up to one. It is, it is a very potent thing in the middle of combat to just be able to say, nah, I'm good. Um... Next we have tieflings. Tieflings are individuals coming from an infernal lineage, often like a demon or a fiend or something along those lines. Uh, many tieflings have horns, colored skin, and other infernal traits that allow for a wide variety of expression, um, which makes them very fun for characters as they can say, oh, my tiefling has blue skin and red horns and all of these different pieces that kind of make them your own. Uh, they're inherently resistant to fire and have spells deriving from their infernal origins. Tieflings normally live around 150 years. Next up, we have the ASMR. I'm pretty sure I've said that wrong. Did I say that right? Yeah, it, it, it's it's always debated on how you say their names. It's like ASMR, ASMR, it's weird. Okay, well, I'm saying ASMR, so sue me later. Um, 
These guys function as workers of the gods, carrying out their will and serve as guardians. This origin allows the ASMR to have inherent celestial spellcasting abilities and a resistance to necrotic damage, often associated with death and evil, and radiant damage, the damage often associated with good. The ASMR live around 160 years. So really quickly, one thing that I did want to say is so for ASMRs, they do not inherently have to be good. Most of the time when people think of it, they think of like a, a demigod Jesus type figure. But in many cases, you can have an evil ASMR who's just like, yeah, no, I don't I don't die with that. <laughs> so very interesting class to do. Um, so all of the races that we listed come from the player's handbook, and they all have completely unique stories and histories that you can learn more about if you desire. Some of these, like the elves and such, will be covered in later episodes. Uh, while choosing a race is a big part of your character uh, creation, every race is still a commoner or just a normal person until they have selected their class. Your class is kind of your job and role. It makes your character unique among its species, and it determines your skill set and abilities. Um, for example, classes like Wizard and Sorcerer get to cast spells, while um, Fighter-like classes rely mostly on their weapons. Mm -hmm. just, just like with races, many classes can be found through expansions and unofficial sources. Uh, so, uh, so it's like, uh, actually... H, you, you play one of these uh, expansion classes, don't you? Uh, yes. For my first time through, I picked the Bloodhunter class. Now, this class is very unique to the others in the sense that you inflict damage on yourself to attack others. Um, kind of like blood magic. For example, one of the abilities my character can use is called the Crimson Rite, which allows me to slash my own hand open with my sword and... Using the blood from that, I cast a spell on my sword, upping the damage level I can do. Yeah, that that one's cool. That's a very good ability. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Bloodhunter was designed by Matt Mercer, uh, the Dungeon Master of Critical Role, if I'm correct. Uh, very genius guy there. Mm -hmm. So next, we get into the second fun part. Here are the 12 core D&D classes. First up, we're going to talk about Barbarians. Now, these guys, I'm sure when you imagine Barbarian, you imagine the big guy with the giant axe. Well, there you go. Barbarians are terrifying enemies on the battlefield, utilizing rage to reduce damage, fight harder, and soak up punishment like nobody's business. Barbarians are following the path of the Berserker and push their bodies to the limits, performing inhuman tasks and are a menace to any enemy they face. Barbarians following the path of the totem animal choose between five animal totems, making them more resistant, faster, and at later levels, even able to fly. So, uh, really quick uh, to clarify. So, whenever you pick your class, normally it's around when you get to level three, you'll get to choose uh, what's known as a subclass. It's kind of a uh, branch that you take and what you're focusing on. So for the Barbarians, it was uh, Path of the Berserker and Path of the Totem Animal. Uh, that's just a little thing that I thought might help if we clear that up. Very wise. Um, yeah, for, uh, for Bloodhunter, 
which which subclass did you choose again? Ah, ah I got to remember off the top of my head. Dang. Hmm. Oh, never mind. I just I'm I'm pretty sure. Oh, yours was the warlock type one, right? Yes, that's what it was. Like a patron. Yeah. So these let you do so many things, and it's super cool to have. It's definitely definitely awesome to be able to kind of go your own path within these broad classes. All right, now we are on to the clerics. Clerics are devout followers of a certain religion that through different domains can be the party's best healer, help others attacks, wield storms and many other powerful abilities, while also, bo while also boasting a proficiency in heavy armor, making them very hard to hit. Clerics have seven domains to choose from. Knowledge, which makes you very well versed vast amount of information, Life, which gives you the best healing abilities for any class. Light, which has potent effects in darkness and against evildoers. Uh, nature, which gives many abilities similar to the druid, which we are about to cover. Tempest, which allows you to control the wrath of storms and bring lightning down on your foes. Trickery domain, which allows you to confuse and disorientate with ease. And war domain, that assists with every aspect of combat. Wow. Okay, that is a lot of subclasses to choose from. <laughs> Clerics seem very complicated. It seems complicated, but it's it's just they're a very wide range class. It's you believe in a deity strong enough that it gives that they give you magical powers. So it it does make sense that it kind of covers such a wide range. Faith the size of a mustard seed, and you could move mountains. <laughs> yep. All right, next is fighter. While bland on the outside, fighters are, are proficient in killing large numbers of enemies with a multitude of weapons and armor, making them very unique customization, customizable for your character, proficient in most ways of fighting. Uh, one of my favorite uh, fighting styles that they have is, um, is the dual wielding feat, which I believe that you, were go that you are going for currently. Um, or were going for at some point, but it gives you an advantage if you are using two weapons. You can be better with shields, you can be better with just attacking. It is, you have so many different ways to improve your style that's super, that's super customizable. Uh, Battlemaster fighters use strategy and technique to outmaneuver and outsmart most enemies your character will face. Champion fighters excel in every part of combat, making them extremely skilled and dangerous. Eldritch knights mix magic and melee to make a unique class capable of massive damage. Next up, we have the monks. Monks are masters of unarmed combat, utilizing speed and KI points to allow them to move inhumanly fast, hit harder and catch projectiles, and be an all-around menace on the battlefield. Way of Shadow... Monk. Sorry? Did you... Could you say what the uh, what the points were again? What were those called again? <laughs> KI points? Did I say that wrong? They're key points. <laughs> you know I'm new to this. Yeah, I know. It, it was just funny because I expected you to just know they're key points. Okay, you. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll stop. You're good. My guy. Okay. Anyway, aside from embarrassing me in front of millions of viewers, hopefully someday. Um, Way of Shadow Monks use spells to help them sneak around and confuse enemies in combat. 
Wave the element monks use their skills in line with natural elements of earth, water, air, and fire to deal more damage and diversify their arsenal. Way of the open hand monks learn how to manipulate their enemies through stunning strikes, trips, and pushes to turn the tides of combat in their favor. Next are paladins. Paladins are warriors bound to an oath so intensely that it gives them powers, providing healing, sensing good and evil, and when brought to it, they can smite enemies with the anger of their deity. This is a character that can be as simple or complicated as you would like and are only inherently bound to their oath. And this oath, by the way, can be literally anything. So, uh, um, paladins choose between an oath of devotion, oath of vengeance, and an oath of the ancients. Each give different spellcasting abilities and offer unique opportunities for customization. So as a paladin, could I take an oath of devotion to firearms? Ah. <laughs> Yes, you could. You, you could literally just say, weapons are my religion. <laughs> oh, Extremely customizable and whatever you want. That's how you sum up paladins. Oh, yeah. Next, we have rangers. And these are a versatile class mixing spellcasting, fighting, and heavy emphasis on survival, making them invaluable when on the fringes of society and the necessities of food, water, and shelter are scarce. Beastmaster Rangers gain an animal companion and use this companion to assist them in all tasks they encounter. Hunter Rangers pick a specialty and gain an affinity for their preferred prey, making them devastating to even the largest foes. Rangers Rangers seem to get a bad rap recently because a lot of games don't seem to talk about the survival aspect of most things. But I think that y'all have realized a little bit within our campaign that whenever you emphasize uh, survival, even though y'all don't have a ranger in your group, I think y'all are starting to realize the kind of importance of having a high survival skill. Very much so. Um, um, go ahead. I was just going to say that... Um, Given the stuff you've already thrown at us, I anticipate further on down the campaign there's going to be moments when our party takes damage for not having that survival skill. Yeah, when you don't have water or food, you you struggle, man. Um, Alright, next we have rogues. Rogues are proficient in the art of stealth and deception. With three extremely diverse subclasses... Assassin rogues are extremely skilled in going for the kill and doing the most damage possible, often without even getting caught. Arcane, tr arcane tricksters use magic to disorientate enemies and confuse as they go in for the kill, a unique mix of physical and magical prowess. Thieves develop an uncanny ability to steal without being caught, often starting with pickpocketing uh, and minor thieving gigs, evolving to impossibly daring heists. Thieves maintain their menacing reputations as rogues while often thieving anything not nailed down. In other words, keep your hands on your wallets. Oh, yeah. Next, we're going to start getting into the spellcasting classes, the first of which is the sorcerer, who draws power from lineage or many from unknown sources, allowing them to cast without the extensive learning and training wizards must endure. Draconic Bloodline Sorcerers draw power from Draconic Lineage and often boast a higher armor class than most spellcasters. Wild Magic Sorcerers' power stems from extremely potent and often unknown origins, making their magic far more unstable and prone to wild magic surges. 
child magic is wild. That's that's where I'll leave it, but wild magic is crazy. It is essentially um, you cast a spell and anything can happen. Yeah, because if you fail your save, um, I think on one of my on one of my wild magic sorcerers that I made for a game a while back, we were in the middle of a really dangerous combat against like I think it was two ogres, and I just teleported out without trying to. I just teleported an hour away. That sucked. So, wild magic is crazy. If you're the one who likes to just go for it and take a risk, wild magic sorcerers for you. Cool. Alright, next are druids. Druids use old magic, connecting them to nature, unlike any other class. Through wild shape, druids take the form of animals to assist them in combat. Druidcraft to grow plants to benefit the group. Circle of Land Druids have improved spellcasting abilities, while Circle of the Moon Druids improve their wild shape. Really quickly, Circle of the Land Druids, you can pick any section of land. You can go from beaches, deserts, forests, and you'll just work better in those areas. Or you can go with the basic Circle of Land and be pretty well-rounded. It's very cool. Next up, we have the bards. Bards use magic through music, often using their wisdom to cut enemies with their words, inspiring their allies, and are proficient in many tasks. Bards help their party with many different support spells, like Healing Word, Bardic Inspiration, and Tiny Hut to help ensure the success of the group. College of Lore bards take a deep dive on information and become proficient in an exceptional amount of skills and languages. College of Valor Bards are more combat-oriented and assist their allies in making successful attacks, healing, and damaging enemies. Have you heard of Have you heard of the crazy ability that bards get at like second level? I have not. They get this ability called Jack of All Trades, and it gives them half proficiency on everything. That seems very strong. By the way, proficiency is like. You have been trained in this. You understand how to do this thing. Normally it's with weapons or armor uh, to make sure that you know how to use them. But bards just get half proficiency on all checks, which is crazy. So next is warlocks. Warlocks draw their power from an otherworldly patron, with, uh, uh, from an otherworldly pact with a far more powerful entity. Gaining abilities and powers that progressively get stronger as you progress to higher levels. Pact of the Archfey helps your character disguise and scare enemies while also becoming very difficult to attack. Pact of the Fiend allows your character to gain health from killing and assists you in giving you the most damage possible. Pact of the Great Old One gives your character telepathic abilities and allows you to manipulate enemies on the battlefield as you grow in level. Last but not least, we have wizards. Now, these are the bookworms of the magic field. In order to get their power, they study and study and study to develop their magic skills. There are eight schools of study to choose from. I'm probably going to say this wrong. Abjuration? Got it. Conjuration, divination, enchantment, evocation, illusion, necromancy, and transmutation. All with their own unique spells and specialties. Did not expect you to get all those first try. I thought you were. I thought you were gonna get messed up on like evocation. You underestimate my power. 
the evocation. <laughs> um, as we mentioned earlier, every character has their strengths and weaknesses. In D&D, this is expressed in game in the form of ability modifiers. Each of these ability modifiers allows your character to do different tasks better than the average commoner, as well as determine how your character stands up to your party mates and to your foes. D&D, when you want to do something, you roll a 20-sided dice, a.k.a. a d20, and what and what's called a check. A check is basically, does your character successfully pull this off? If you want to climb onto a roof, you may have to do a dexterity check to see if you can actually climb onto that roof. The goal is to roll a number higher than your DM sets for that action. You succeed, you successfully complete it. Your ability modifier helps you do this. Let's say you roll a 12 when you need a 13 or above to climb onto the roof. Your ability modifier is a number unique to your character that you add to your roll. If this roll was for dexterity and you had a dexterity modifier of plus 2, your roll, which was originally a 12, now counts as a 14 and you successfully succeed that check and climb onto the roof. There are six types of checks and modifiers in total. The first is strength, and this one is the most important when it comes to actually hitting your enemy in combat. Strength is your raw physical power. How much can you lift, carry, and throw? Strength helps add to your damage and is the main focus of the barbarian class. A simple analogy is strength is how hard you can throw a tomato. Next, dexterity is how quickly you can react, move, and the basis of how nimble you are. Dexterity is directly connected to most characters' armor class, and the higher dexterity you have, the harder you are to hit. Uh, this is very useful for classes like the monk. Dexterity is being able to catch said thrown tomato. Constitution is how resilient you are. It is the basis for seeing your resistance to disease, poison, and most other kinds of damage. This ability is directly related to your character's health and will define how much of a beating you can take. The constitution, in simple terms, is being able to eat a raw tomato and not get sick. A raw tomato or a rotten tomato? Rotten tomato, I messed that up. Pardon me. <laughs> Sigh. Intelligence is your book smarts. Being able to memorize information, understand large amounts, and being able to understand the information that you've memorized. This ability helps your character with understanding history, understanding medicine, and understanding creatures that you encounter out in the world. Intelligence, in simple terms, knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is your character's street smarts, their ability to take information given to them and determine how to react. Wisdom improves a character's perception or ability to see things going on around them and allows them to better notice what people are thinking and when they are trying to be deceived, or when other people are trying to deceive them. Wisdom is knowing not to put tomatoes in a fruit salad. Charisma is how easy you are to talk to and how effective you are at swaying people's opinions of you. Charisma can be, can be used to intimidate if you want to scare a guard or you want to make sure that somebody doesn't talk. You can persuade trying to get a better price at a stand and deceive like lying to someone about where you were, making you proficient in every aspect of conversation. Charisma is being able to sell said tomato fruit salad. You really like tomatoes, dude. It explains why you stole my tomatoes every day for over a year. Maybe if your perception was higher, you'd noticed. Thanks, man. <laughs> After that plethora of information, we're going to take a moment to take a breath. My cat demands attention, so I will be back in a second. All right, well, while he's out, I'm going to do a quick rant. 
Okay, there are so many different dice in D&D that you can choose from. You've got like a D6, D10, D4, D12. Uh, by the way, the number after is just how many sides there are. I have no idea how on earth D12s are balanced. They are literally the weirdest shape. D10s are worse because they're like a spinny. How is that supposed to be balanced? I have metal dice. I don't understand how that's balanced whatsoever. It just, they never, they never roll properly. They, they're always like rolling for 10 minutes sitting there. It's so strange. And especially whenever you're doing stuff like rolling for barbarian attack. Oh, I hit you with a giant battle axe. Oh, I rolled a one on my d12. Guess that means I did one damage. While the rogue who happens to have a 2d6 knife, bottom that he can do is two. It's weird. Uh, and I'm back. Are you confusing our viewers? Yes, yes, I am. Good All job. Right. So, each of these skills helps shape your character and adds to the party's abilities to handle encounters physically, conversationally, and magically. Next is the equipment you get at the beginning of an adventure. You'll find armor, weapons, and a lot of miscellaneous gear. Okay, so armor is broken up into three different classifications. You have light, medium, and heavy armor. Light armor is normally like leather, studded leather. It's made to provide a little bit of protection without hindering movement whatsoever. Medium armor, uh, you know, without hindering movement whatsoever. This has no disadvantage to stealth, movement, nothing. Um, medium armor involves chainmail and is often paired with shields. Armor does not greatly affect your movement, provides slightly more protection, but it does hurt your stealth, as with chainmail, kind of loud. Um, finally is heavy armor. Heavy armor is the most protective armor, like full plate armor that covers you from head to toe, or half plate that covers your upper body. Um, this armor does often give disadvantage in stealth and requires a high strength to be carried. I believe plate armor needs a base of 16 strength to even be worn. Another thing to think about with your armor is your character. For example, my Aarakocra cannot fly if he's wearing anything bigger than medium armor, which means in the campaign, as an Aarakocra player, I am restricted to medium or light armor. And even if you weren't restricted, it just, it takes away some of your, some of your movement capabilities. And like we had said originally with the Aarakocras, your main strength is that you can move around a ton. Next up, we've got the weapons, and these are often your main tools for combat, from long swords to wooden clubs, great battle axes, or pole arms. Weapons fall into three categories of simple, martial, and finesse. Simple weapons are often rudimentary tools such as clubs, maces, and spears that require little if any training, and the damage is mostly based on strength. Martial weapons are like long swords, war hammers, and they require proficiency to wield effectively, but often do more damage in the right hands, still using strength as the main damage bonus. Finesse weapons, like rapiers, focus less on strength and more on dexterity, making them a unique weapon for dexterity-oriented characters. There are so many weapons. I think I think you remember whenever we were looking at the different weapons that you could choose from. There's so many. It's a very long list. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that it's like close to a hundred. There's so many. Lastly, you'll have miscellaneous gear. 
that you just get with your adventuring clergy or other pack packs that you get, um, like rope, climbing spikes, and torches. Um, no matter how strange these things may seem, uh, like having 50 feet of rope, what are you going to do with 50 feet of rope? A lot of you know how to tie the right knots. That's true, yeah. And if you're in the right situation, like, hey, you're sitting on top of a roof that nobody else has the dexterity to get up to. What do you do? Tie it around the chimney, let everybody else climb up. You, you'll have to think out of the box pretty often, but when you do, a lot of these random things are invaluable. And that's one of the great things about D&D is no matter how random it is, it can somehow be useful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm trying I'm trying to remember what y'all did uh one of these one of these times. I'm pretty sure that y'all like eh, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I know that y'all have done some weird stuff with the most random items. Very much so. <laughs> and by now you um. should have a completed character sheet. It's finally time to cover all the weird things you'll find on your character sheet. Movement speed is one of these. Movement speed dissipates, or yeah, movement speed states how quickly your character can move in a six-second round of combat. And this will be discussed in more detail during the episode on combat. But in simple terms, it's how far your character moves in one turn. This can be affected by dexterity and certain class traits. Armor class is how difficult you are to hit. When an enemy rolls to hit you, they must roll at your armor class or higher than your armor class to hit you. If they roll below that, it's a mix of your dexterous movement or your armor that has made that attack ineffective. For a lot of for some of the DMs listening, this does not mean that the attack that this trained adventurer just fully misses their attack. A lot of the times it means they brought up their shield and the weapon glanced off. Very, very cool. But uh, next should be initiative, right? Yes. Initiative is used to determine how quickly your character acts at the beginning of a combat. This is who strikes first and is added to a d20 roll. This ability is tied to both wisdom and dexterity. Because you got to be present and fast to be able to react quickly. Very much so. Okay, that was a lot of information, but I think that was everything we were supposed to cover. Is there anything we should add, H? The only thing I would think to say is that remember that this is a game. The goal is to have fun. Yes, there is a lot of information to deal with, but depending on you and your friends, you don't have to take a super deep dive into it. There are a lot of ways to play D&D. All right. Now, that was all the stuff that we wanted to cover time are we at right now h we are at 40 minutes almost exactly 39 minutes and 16 seconds to be exact all right cool so now this is going to be the little bit of an unscripted section to it this is going to be just two friends talking about D a little bit and i want to i wanted to ask you really quickly what was your strangest, uh, like, learning curve when it came to D&D? What was something that was really hard to understand at first? Um, 
Well, there is a lot to D&D, and I think none of it was hard to understand on its own, but understanding all of it at the same time was. And I think having experienced people in the party along with me is what helped most. For example, one of the confusing things was what can and can't be done. And as you know, with our party, <laughs> there is no can't. It is, hey, I just want to go do this randomly. Like, for example, our tiefling um, in our party has taken to handing out his business card everywhere. No reason, none at all. Just hands out the business card because he can and because it's funny. He has that ghost rat, too, Yes. That I, that I thought up on the fly. That was not planned. He just has this, like, ghost rat that throws business cards in people's pockets. It, it is, for some reason, so funny to everybody. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. That it's hilarious. Just, yeah, it's awesome. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, uh, so... Oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, you. Go ahead, dude. All right. Well, I think the thing that I have found that's most interesting with D&D is that everybody seems to, like, think of and emphasize combat because that's where most of the rules come into play. But it's surprising to me how much you can do in just role play. No swords drawn, just talking. Mm-hmm. And that is another great part about D&D is if you don't particularly end up particularly not enjoying the combat, that's only a small part of it. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I, I know at least for a lot of the times whenever we're doing stuff, I can, I can imagine that it gets pretty boring for y'all because it's like, hey, yeah, you've hit these enemies like two times now. Oh, you missed. You didn't kill it. That can get pretty boring at times. I think with the right group and enough laughter and people joking, it's never boring. That's true, yeah. It's especially fun whenever y'all get to some of the situations you're dealing with right now where it's like, hey, if y'all really wanted to, you could go and talk with that one random dwarven diplomat, see what his deal is. And I have, like, a full page of information on them. If you want to talk with them, cool. They're going to be a character now. They're going to be someone important. It's it's always kind of cool to just see how, like, y'all make characters. A lot of these NPCs and people that pop up randomly, I had no plans for. I thought of, like, the name of bartenders or something straight on the fly. And suddenly, when y'all fall in love with them, I have to start making a backstory for them. You know we love to give you work. Oh, yeah, naturally. Uh, bringing up an example of that happening is... So my character, for to be introduced, started as a bodyguard. And... Oh, my gosh. So John here created the most annoying character possible for me to have Kyle. to bodyguard. Yes, Kyle. I'm pretty sure you messed up his name, like, the first five sessions. And then when he stopped kept, appearing, you got his name right. Between, like... Kyle, Kale, Jack. I think you called him Kevin a couple times. Yeah, I messed that up so many times. But it was funny because so eventually Kyle's dad showed up and I got fired because Kyle got drunk. We'll go into details on that some other time if y'all are <laughs> really interested. Um, But so later on during this massive 
when this massive combat section of the campaign is taking part, one of the people who's not participating in combat just goes, hey, can I go find Kyle's dad? And just wouldn't oh. drop it, and then eventually we had to have a whole section where he just goes and talks to Kyle's dad. He he asked that like ten times. I know, dude. When we were doing the Coliseum thing, and I was like, "Come on, man! They're they're doing the fighting bracket." Just uh, our no. Dragonborn barbarian is fighting against this giant robot, and our Tieflings just there, like, "Hey, can I go find Kyle's dad?" Oh my gosh! It was so. Y'all were not supposed to be able to kill that bot. I kind of figured with how powerful you made it. Yeah, I was totally planning on Valum, like, getting nice and close, activating the healing section, and then that thing being gone. I was not planning on uh, Rodinar to roll above a 22 every time for the Arcana and Slide of Hand heal her so for those of you listening for context um our dm john had put um our dragonborn barbarian into the coliseum with this supposed to be unbeatable robot machine and while they're fighting um another member of our party who their character's name is rodinar who in game is brother to valum who was the barbarian um, Rodinar decided that he's going to cast healing onto his sister who's in the fight. Now, in order to do that, he had to do some sleight of hand checks so that he wouldn't be noticed casting the healing spells. And by some miracle, he perfectly rolled 20s over and over again. And he showed us the rolls so we knew he was telling the truth. And... He just kept healing her, and Valen proceeded to win the fight because of the heals. And almost every time, I think he healed her one more point than she took damage. Oh, yeah. I remember I remember on one of those, I was sitting there staring at a nat 20 hit. And I was like, oh, this has to kill her. There is no way. She had about 25 hit points. It did 48. Eight damage, actually forty nine damage, and since I round down, that means that it did twenty. Since it was halved, because Valum was resistant to fire, he had to half the damage from the robot because it used fire. Yeah, and since I round down on on the on that, he was at one hit point, and that was that was amazing when mm-hmm. she finally like made that thing detonate. And even though um, the only people really involved in this fight were two members of the party, the rest of us all had an amazing time just hearing what was happening. Um, it was crazy. Y'all messed up every person that you fought there. Oh, yes. It was brutal, everything that happened. <laughs> um, and as I was listening to your first episode of this, John, um, I remember hearing you talk about what the tiefling did to the elf. And, oh, my gosh, um, yeah. Funny thing is that when John was telling you all about that, he said, if I remember correctly, he said, quote, I don't remember exactly what spell was used, but it was something like cause wounds. And when I was listening to him say that, I laughed so hard because the actual spell used was called inflict wounds. He was Look, so was close. close. Okay. So close yet close. so far. Yeah, but still, like... uh. Valum against that one orc 
literally split his skull, cut off his legs. Gruesome warning, people. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is... They brutalize every person they faced. And that was just... I was expecting them to, like, be a little bit over the top. Like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like, lop off one leg. Okay, you can reattach a leg. That's not bad. Nah. Nah. Those people ain't getting back up. <laughs> um, although I'm pretty sure you've been hinting that that's going to come back to bite us um, in future campaign yeah. episodes. Actually, by the time that y'all... I won't spoil it yet. I'll have to say this in a later episode, but... um. Let's say Revivify can work weird if you have nothing but blood. <laughs> Terror level increases. DMs are scary. Oh, yeah. Respect your DM. He controls the world. Don't don't worry. If you got a good DM, they're not going to try and kill you. They're just trying to make the adventure fun. All right. You so... just said that you made the robot designed to kill us. Yes. He's the <laughs> fighting bracket between like the Elven Council and the Dwarven Lords. It's meant to be that these guys are overpowered. You know the elf that the uh, that the uh, tiefling was fighting? That he turned into blood soup, you mean? Yeah. He had a 23 armor class. He was meant to be literally untouchable. Well, he shook his hand, so he was touchable. Yeah, okay. Slight DM mistake there. <laughs> and there's one hey, thing... General? about dms is you have to be willing and able to adapt and improvise to everything oh my gosh yeah because they'll think of stuff like no matter what you're planning for they'll think of it they'll plan and heck you can have somebody with like a thousand hit points they will figure out a way to remove them <laughs> and they'll do it efficiently like scarily efficient uh, what time are we at by chance? Sorry, we... sorry that I keep asking. No worries, we are at 50 minutes exactly. Alright, cool. I want to talk with you really fast about level 20. I know nothing of this. Let's talk about it. Okay. Level 20. Uh, the, way that, the way that the leveling system is normally regarded is like level 1 is brand new, green-eyed everything. Level 5 is minor adventurer. It's like a hobbyist. Level 10 is you're a legit adventurer. You're going through dungeons. You're doing all your stuff. Level 15 is you're pretty well renowned. Pretty cool. Level 20 is just insanity. Do you want to know what the barbarian level 20 ability is? Tell me about it. I don't remember the exact name of it. But it increases your strength and dexterity by four and raises your maximum to 24. Explain that in newbie terms. Okay, so a normal common person has a strength of about seven. Um, seven or eight. Most, uh, most fighters, most strength-based characters... They have a strength of about 14, 15. 
a storm giant, which, by the way, is one of the really powerful giants that are huge, massive. They have a strength of about 21. You can literally make your barbarian stronger than a, like, 50-foot-tall giant. <whistles> Level 20. It is crazy. D&D yeah, is barbarians crazy. Are, barbarians are really... The only issue that I have with barbarians is that they're super combat-oriented. Mm-hmm. You know, outside of combat, they don't have great communication skills or perception skills or that type of stuff. I remember you once told me about a barbarian that was so combat-oriented, he lost hit points for thinking too hard. Oh my gosh, yeah. So, one of my... So one of my buddies, he made this super, super dumb, like, I mean, rolled bottom-of-the-barrel stats. I think he had, like, a five for intelligence. And so we went into a puzzle for a dungeon, and he suddenly figured it out and was rolling really high on intelligence checks. For about the second check, it was like, her head your head is starting to hurt from all this thinking that you're doing. And most people laughed, joked a little bit about it. Then he started taking damage for it. Cause he just kept rolling so well. He kept like coming up with these super, super quick conclusions. And his character was like, ah, oh, yes, it must be this. And eventually at a certain point, he was like, grog, grog, no solve. Frog brain hurt too much. <laughs> it was so funny because all of them were like, Grog, you, you got the other ones. Why, why don't you help us with this? Grog brain hurt much. <laughs> Grog need long rest. All right. Well, I think that is going to be where we'll end off today's episode. Once again, thank you very much, H. Check out his Twitch at A10FuryTTV. Once again, that is A10 Fury TTV. And as always, stay safe out there, adventurers. Adios.